So we're going to be in uh, Psalm 46, what we read, what RJ read for us a few minutes ago, and I appreciate these men already having brought it to your attention, this theme that we're talking about for the next few minutes today, Psalm 46. Beautiful, beautiful text. I love this psalm. It has so much to say to us today. We welcome every one of you. Once again, we thank you for coming to Hoover today. If you're visiting with us, we are especially glad that you're here. Some of you may be here because of Vacation Bible School having been the last couple of days. And if so, thank you for coming to this, this uh, worship assembly. You're always welcome here. We've got classes for all of our kids and classes for adults. And uh, We're trying to follow the Lord. We're a group of imperfect people following a perfect Savior. And we're trying our best to teach and preach the Bible and live consistently with it as best as we can by the power of God working in us. And so if we can talk to you about your relationship to Christ, your questions or your interest in spiritual things, please see me or one of us and we would um, we'd be thrilled to do that. Psalm 46, Psalm 46, background just a little bit about what's going on. Be still and know that I'm God. You've probably heard those words quite a bit. Be still and know that I'm God. But what in the world does that mean? And what's he talking about? The, the Psalms are a collection. You know, the book of Psalms. You've got 150 of them. Sometimes you can figure out about when they were written, what was going on when the psalmist wrote the Psalms. Sometimes you can't figure it out at all. If you're following along with us in our Bible reading, the church is reading through the Bible together chronologically. Many of you know that. And we read the book of, where we're kind of reading Psalms periodically. You know, we'll, we'll read Second Chronicles, a couple of chapters, and then we'll read a Psalm or whatever. So Psalm 46 popped up in one of our readings, and, and, and I thought it was interesting because I, I was interested in, in how what we're reading in the, in the history part of the Old Testament and then why this psalm kind of appeared right there, out of the blue it seemed. I don't want to talk to you a little bit about a connection. Now, if you haven't been doing your reading or you don't even know what I'm talking about, you're visiting with us today and you, you don't know about this, what I'm about to tell you, that's, that's okay. I'm going to explain it to you. But I want to show you a connection between some stuff going on in the Old Testament and this particular psalm. Okay? So there's probably a connection between what's going on among in, in, in the life of God's people Way back then, the king's name was Hezekiah. Jeff Melton and I are going to come back tonight. We're going to talk a little bit more about Hezekiah. So I'm going to do a little bit this morning, and Jeff will talk more about Hezekiah tonight. And we did a little bit of Hezekiah a couple weeks ago. Hezekiah is a very important king. Now, at this particular part of history in the Old Testament, you got two kingdoms. This is important, two kingdoms. you got one of the north that's called Israel. you got one of the south that's called Judah. Israel and Judah. Now, during this particular time, I mean, this is a huge deal. At this particular time, things had gotten so bad in Israel that God had warned them for generation after generation after generation. They had refused to listen. They had persisted in rebellion. They had said, Lord, we don't care what you want. We want to do it our way. We're going to worship whichever God we want and all the gods that we want. We'll worship them how we want to worship them. We'll have our temples where we want our temples and all that. So they had basically said, we're done with you, God. And God said, if you're done with me, then I'm going to withhold my protection of you. So I'm not going to protect you anymore. 
And God raised up this fierce nation called Assyria. This is in our reading. You know, this is in the Old Testament. He raised up this nation of Assyria. Assyria was mean. They were bad. They were hateful, cruel. They skinned people alive. They uh, just stuff they did was awful. All right, it's really, really rough stuff. Hezekiah was king. Just stay with me for a second. Some of this history, I don't, if, you may not like history, but sometimes you've got to understand some history to figure out what in the world we're talking about in another part. And this is one of those times. So during this time, while Hezekiah was king in the south, is when Israel just fell apart and God sent Assyria to annihilate the north. The nation of Israel is done. And this is in the first few years of Hezekiah's reign, all right? He sees this. Now, I mean, it's like the the difference between Judah in the south and Israel in the north, I mean, geographically, it's not that big of an area. It's kind of like Alabama is in the south and Tennessee's in the north. We're not talking about a long way away from them, all right? It's pretty close. This geography is pretty, pretty tight. And so Judah's safe for now. uh, Assyria hasn't come against Judah has, uh, Assyria has taken away Israel. They're gone. I mean, annihilated their capital city, took the people away to other lands, and they're done. All right, now you got Judah in the south. Just kind of huddle up. Hezekiah is the king. What in the world is going to happen to us? Because there's no way we can stand up against Assyria. Nobody can stand up against Assyria. About eight years pass. There's a little bit of peace. Eight years pass where Hezekiah and the nation of Judah, they're doing okay. But then, then the king of Assyria sends Sennacherib. That's the guy's name, Sennacherib. He comes down to Jerusalem and he basically says, okay, your time's up, Judah. Your time's up. You're done. You're done. Give us a bunch of money. Hezekiah gave him a bunch of money. Uh, I wasn't good enough. And so he surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Sennacherib surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Again, this is about eight years after what happened up north. Surrounded the city of Jerusalem and said, what are you going to do now? You're done, you know, you're done. Call upon your God, your God can't do anything. What's your God going to do? He's completely helpless. He can't do anything. We're going to take the city. You might as well just go ahead and give in, make it as easy as possible on you. Uses some pretty foul language there. He says, you know, about, well, I won't say it. It's just... Bad stuff. Just bad stuff about what they're going to be eating and stuff. It's nasty. Just give in. Give in now because you can't stand against us anyway. Hezekiah knows he can't stand against Assyria. Nobody can, right? He takes this letter from the king of Assyria. Takes this letter. And, uh, And Hezekiah, he's got this letter and he takes it. He takes it to God. And he says, this is basically what he does. He, he puts it in front of God, and he says, um, that's what they're saying about you. That's what, God, that's what the king has just said about you. He says you can't do anything. He says that you're, you're helpless and impotent to do anything for us, and, and, I, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Has God doesn't know what to do. And, and, and you can imagine... We can probably only imagine, none of us have ever been kings, but uh, you can imagine maybe what that would have been like. Absolutely helpless. 
The world is caving in on us. That's, that's what's going on. The world is caving in. Everybody in the world is falling to Assyria. Our cousins to the north, they're gone. Egypt to the south, they can't help us. Assyria's coming. Nobody stands against Assyria. They're going to kill, they're going to skin people alive. They're going to impale them on these poles. They're going to rape and mutilate and all this awful stuff. Terrible. And Hezekiah takes this letter and he spreads it out before the Lord and he says, that's what he's saying, Lord. That's why this psalm was written about this time. This, in a way, is God's answer. Now I want you to go back and look at it with me again. There, there's Hezekiah surrounded by the worst nation that's ever existed. He's thrown this letter in front of God and said, God, we don't know what in the world that we're going to do. What, what can we do? And this is God's answer. Psalm 46. Listen to it. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now here's the language. Here's the graphic language. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now here's something you need to know about this language here, okay? A lot of times you read this in the Old Testament, you think, well, it's just kind of poetic kind of graphic language. And you're right, it is. But it carries with it a little bit more meaning even than that. So when he says here that the earth gives way, the mountains are moving into the heart of the sea, what he's saying is he's using, now get this, he's using language of uncreation. Listen, listen to what I'm saying, uncreation. So you go back and you read creation in Genesis 1 and 2. God creates the oceans, you know, and then he creates dry land. The dry land rises up. The dry land appears. It rises up out of the water. Then you got the dry land and the sea, and the sea can only come so far, and God circumscribes it. You know, he, he, he creates these lines. The sea can only come so far, and then you got dry land. You got the mountains, and you got the land, and you got the sea, and the separation of them, right? That's creation language of Genesis 1 and 2. But sometimes when the Bible wants to talk about some sort of unthinkable catastrophe, it uses uncreation language. What that means is the mountains, they came up out of the water at creation, the mountains are going back down into the water. And the water is rising up. Do you see that language again? Do you see that? Though the earth gives way, the earth's giving up. The earth was put there and it was keeping the sea at bay, right? The mountains are moving into the heart of the sea. The mountains rose out of the sea at creation, but now they're sinking back down into the sea. The waters are roaring and foaming, and the mountains are trembling at their swelling. So what's happening here in the psalmist kind of language is the world is falling apart. It's caving in. Literally, it's going back to that chaos that pre preceded the good creation of Genesis 1 and 2. It's important for you to see that because this language is strong. This is the strongest language that they had. Basically, what, what the psalmist is saying is, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Absolute chaos. Uh, the world is falling apart. The mountains are going into the sea. The sea's rising. We're going back to that. Remember Genesis 1 and 2? Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. Remember that? The spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. You got this premortal chaos, this, this ocean, this sea, 
the, the, the waves, that chaos of Genesis 1-2. That's what he's saying here. We're going back to that. world's falling apart. Assyria is surrounding me. I have no answer to Assyria. Egypt can't help me. I've given all my money away. I don't have any soldiers. Here's what he's saying, God. I'm done. I'm done. Can't fight. God's answer. Yeah, when it seems like the earth is giving up, when it seems like the mountains are falling into the sea, when it seems like the waters are roaring and foaming chaos in the Bible, whenever the Bible talks about the sea or the ocean, often it's talking about the ups and the downs, the uncertainty. You cannot control it. The mountains are trembling at the swelling of the waters. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. It might seem like the mountains are moving into the sea. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage Assyria with its cockiness and its confidence and its arrogance and its blasphemous statements about God. What's your God going to do? He can't do it. He can't do anything. Your God is weak like all the other gods, right? The nations are going to rage. The kingdoms are going to totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I just want you to see the kind of language here that's being used. And if the context of this is Hezekiah's day, you can see how it applies to him. Hezekiah didn't know what in the world to do. He took that letter before God and he said, here's... Here's the deal. I'm I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do. Let me pause for a second and say something to you and me. I don't want to be over overly dramatic, uh, but 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 let's be real as well. Do you ever have you ever have you ever felt like your life is is is, is sort of falling apart? Have you ever felt like that? Have you, ever, have you ever felt like you, you don't know what to do, like you don't have any solid ground to stand on, that what you thought was, was sturdy is, is starting to, to waver, maybe because of a, a relationship that you'd put a, a lot in and that relationship seems to be crumbling. Maybe, maybe it is a significant other. Maybe it's a, a wife or a husband. Maybe it's an addiction it is, it's something going on with one of your children. Maybe it's the, the MRI that came back or is about to come back. It's, it's a prognosis from your oncologist. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, just everything at work. You've poured years and years and years, and you've, you've done everything to, to, to give your company its best, your best. And now it seems like, man, everything's falling apart. The mountains are falling into the sea. Just chaos, chaos. Maybe it's, maybe it's anxiety and depression or it's, it's perpetual conflict. It's, it's, your stomach is churning because of anxiety and worry and stress. You ever been there? You ever, you ever had familial conflict or relational... relational... Um, just where things are coming apart, you know. 
some of you haven't been there, and probably, probably those of us who haven't experienced something that at least in some way approximates what he's talking about here with the chaos and the uncertainty. I, I mean, that, that language isn't just talking about nations falling. It's also talking about just relationships, and it's talking about life, and it's talking about the difficulties. And most of us have fallen to our knees, and most of us have lain in our beds at night, and we have wet our pillows with tears and we have stressed and our stomachs have churned and we've worried and we've prayed and we've begged and we've tried and tried and tried and it just doesn't seem like anything's working. You see what he's saying? The mountains are moving into the heart of the sea. Everything is falling apart. And if you're here this morning and you can relate to what I'm saying, and, and maybe in some sort of way you, you think, wow, that, it's, it's amazing that, that, that what he's talking about there, I can see how, yeah, I've been dealing with some stuff and I don't know what to do. I've been fighting and I've been doing and I've been trying to fix this thing and I've been white knuckling it and I've been trying my best and I've been trying to kick this and beat this and I've been, I've been doing all this stuff. The more I fight and the more I try, the deeper the whole gets, you know. Read the psalm with me, you know. Listen, listen, listen to what he says. I love the sense of calm. I read this verse 4. I love the sense of calm. And that image, by the way, on the screen, I, I, I think, I hope that you, you, you notice the significance of that, that image, that background image. Because I think that's what this psalm is communicating. Sometimes my life doesn't look like that, right? Does your life always look like that? So we come to church sometimes, we got our suits on and our dresses on and our smiles on. And, and, and we look at each other and we think, man, he's, she's got it all together, right? I know. I've been around long enough to know sometimes i got a smile on my face and I'm about to lose my mind, you know? I'm... I'm I, and I, and I, know, I know people well enough to know that sometimes you come to church and you, 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 look, you look good and all that, but you're having a hard time putting on the happy face. You know? Your, your life doesn't look like that. But what he's saying here is that really is only one main thing here. He's saying that the only way we ever get the calm, the only way we ever get the calm is when we recognize we can't get the calm through our own efforts. We can't do it. We can fight. We can gather the armies. We can try and strive and do more and more and more, and it just gets worse and worse and worse when we try it of our own efforts. There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Mountain may go down into the sea. That's what the world may do. But God is not going to be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. Notice the focus here. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. 
He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. Different translations. uh, New American Standard puts it, cease striving and know that I'm God. This is stronger than, by the way, you need to know this. I love the translation, be still and know that I'm God, because I I think it communicates something pretty good and something that's accurate here. Be still, be still. There's a sense in which we just got to take a deep breath and be still. But, But it's more than that. This is more of an active thing in a way. New American Standard says, cease striving. A couple other translations, the, the, the Christian Standard Bible, which some of you may use, or the Holman Christian Standard Bible put it the same way. They put it, stop your fighting. Stop your fighting and know that I'm God. Stop your fighting and know that I'm God. Cease striving and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. And so when your life is in chaos, Hezekiah, when you don't know what in the world to do, you take that letter and you put it in front of God and you say, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Stop fighting, Hezekiah. Stop fighting, Christian. Stop fighting, human being. Cease your striving. Be still and understand that the path to peace is by turning it over to him and recognizing you cannot do it. It is no coincidence that the very first admonition of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, preached by Jesus himself, is so counterintuitive and just kind of it was a slap in the face of everything that the religious people of Jesus' day believed. But Jesus opened his mouth and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know what what it means to be poor in spirit? What he's saying there, the very first line of the greatest sermon ever preached, he said, you're never going to live the blessed life. You're never going to live the kingdom life. You're never going to live the life God created you to live until you start here. And starting here is an acknowledgement that I am bankrupt. Poor. That word poor means broke. Absolutely penniless. I ain't got nothing to offer. Poor in spirit. Quit your fighting. Your pocketbook's empty. Your bank account is depleted. You don't have anything to give here. This is where healing begins. It's when you realize you come to the end of yourself and you say, you pour out, you, you put the letter in front of God and you said, this is what's going on, Lord. Here, you put the MRI before the Lord and you said, this is what it says, Lord. And you, you, you lay it out there. Here's the relationship. Here's the job situation. Here's my marriage. Here's, here's this relationship thing. Here are my kids. Here's my stress. Here's my job. You're broke You put it out before the Lord and you stop your fighting. You stop your fighting. Be still and know that I'm God. Now you don't hear me saying God just wants us never to obey, right? That's not what I'm saying. This isn't about obedience. God always wants obedience. Sometimes what we try to do, we try to fix everything. 
oh, if I just do this, if I just do that, if I get this right, if I try, if I read my Bible a little bit more, pray a little bit harder, if I go to church a little bit more regularly, if I, you know, if I just, if I just do this. What we haven't done, yeah, church, church matters. Read your Bible, pray, be obedient, all that stuff. But understand, all that stuff is worthless. It's absolutely worthless until we get to this point where we fall down at the feet of God and we spread that letter in front of God and we, and we put that relationship, we put that stress and that job and that sleeplessness and that anxiety and whatever it is, the mountains falling to the depths of the sea, we put all that out before God and we say, Lord, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. God takes that kind of broken and contrite heart and God works with those sorts of folks. He works with those people over and over again. You know why, why it was that Jesus hung out more with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the drunks and the down and out? You know why? You know why they responded to him? Because they were much more likely to realize they didn't have any currency to give. Pharisees and the religious leaders... They thought they had some currency. Hey, I, I, got, I, got some, I got some good works in my account. I'm going to you know, trade them in. Prostitute over here, she knew she didn't have anything to offer. Quit your fighting. Quit your striving. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And, and, and until we recognize that that is where peace and security are, are found, then we're going to keep fighting and we're going to keep striving and we're going to keep trying to climb that ladder and find that peace. It's not there. It begins when we stop. And then God works with that kind of heart. If you're not a Christian this morning, you know what you think, the, the, the thing you got to realize in, in order to become a Christian? Baptism's not, not, not a problem. Not a problem. God commands baptism. Very, very clear. That's not the problem. That's not, that's not keeping people from becoming Christians. That's, that's not it. The thing that keeps people from becoming Christians or, or, or getting your, you know, coming back to the Lord because you made a mess of your life, the, the problem is many of us are too proud to say, I can't do this on my own. And that's where it all starts. It's poor in spirit. In order to become a Christian, you've got to fall down in front of God and say, God, I've made a mess of it, and I've tried hard, and I've made a bigger mess of it, and I don't, I don't, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do. And so you come to him. God smiles at that kind of life because he can work with that kind of life. That's where it starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You're broken before him. You say, Lord, I'm done. I'm yours. Please just, you know, just, please just take me. And, and, and do what you will with me. If that is your spirit this morning, then the Lord is so excited about what he's going to do in your life. That's repentance, by the way. That's just saying, I'm broken, I'm broken, I'm messed up, and I'm coming to you. You're going to confess that you're turning your heart over to, to Jesus Christ. You believe that he is the only one who can fix you. He is the Son of God. You demonstrate that publicly, that death that you're experiencing in your life, that that. That overhaul, that change is, a, is, a, is a, just a complete kind of dying, you know? Well, baptism 
is that public way of expressing that. You're dying to self, being buried and raised up to walk in your life, as Paul puts it in Romans 6. You can become a Christian today, but you've got you to gotta first say to him, Lord, I've made a mess, and I can't fix this on my own. And, and, and by the way, that's, just, that's the same thing it takes for someone who, who's ready to come back to God. Made a mess of it again. And uh, through our own, own efforts, that's what we do. That's what we do. But thank God we serve a Savior who once we put that letter out in front of him, we just lay it out there in front of him, he says, okay, I'll take over from here. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come. Let's stand. Let's sing this song.